welcome everybody to the Conference on Business and Ethics podcast. Uh, my name is Rand Sperry. I am CEO of Sperry Commercial and Sperry Global Affiliates, a national real estate company. And my co-host today is Randy Redwoods, the CEO of Redwoods & Company, a CPA firm here in Orange County. And we have as our special guest today, Father Spitzer. Father Spitzer is a Jesuit priest. He is a philosopher, an educator, a speaker, and he is the former president of Gonzaga University. And for those of you that probably don't know this, I didn't know it myself, he was born in Honolulu. I just, I guess I would have never guessed that. So <laughs> welcome, Father Spitzer. Um, I would like to, I'll kick it off with our first question. And you are also the uh, CEO of the Magis Center of Reason and Faith and the President yes. and CEO of the Napa Institute. And so I, I'd like to ask you a little bit about what advice uh, do you have for, uh, well, no, I'm sorry. What is it that they do? Let's start there with the, the talk about them. There are two different types of religious institutions. If you could talk just briefly about both of them. And so our now our uh, listeners can be more knowledgeable of what you're sharing right now. Sure. The, the Magis Center um, really works to develop materials um, and also programs that are going to help uh, middle school students, high school students, and university students especially to get over that hump where they believe that faith and science are contradictory. So we give a lot of evidence for God from the Board of Lincoln and Guth proof or entropy evidence. Uh, also from fine tuning coincidences, things of that nature. We talk about the evidence for the soul uh, that can survive bodily death from peer reviewed medical studies of near death experiences and terminal lucidity. Uh, we look even at scientific examination of the Shroud of Turin or the scientific examination of miracles. Uh, but it's mostly uh, taking a look at a lot of scientific and philosophical evidence for God, the soul, Jesus, even the church and uh, trying to get those kids over the hump. We make a, a, a group of modules. We educate master teachers and, and other teachers uh, for dioceses all over the United States. So uh, we're right now in about uh, uh, 97 dioceses uh, out of 192 throughout the United States uh, in both middle schools, high schools, and also faith formation programs. So that's uh, the Magis Center, and uh, you can take a look at that at magiscenter.com or crediblecatholic.com, where you can actually look at the modules. Everything is free of charge. You can download them, whatever. Mm -hmm. The second uh, institute is the Napa Institute, and the Napa Institute uh, really tries to form Catholic leaders um, uh, you know, not just form them, but really to, to bring about an intersection uh, with various Catholic leaders uh, throughout the United States. But also we get international Catholic leaders who come to the conferences. We meet uh, once a year up in Napa, California, except for this year because of the COVID-19 crisis. But normally at Napa, California, we have about 700 participants uh, that come there. We have speakers really truly excellent speakers in both uh, the Catholic theological area, in the leadership area, culture area, 
and we try to uh, put together a whole list of seminars, activities they can do, but especially occasions for them to interact and relate and to bring those contacts uh, back to their uh, places where they can really reinforce each other in their leadership. We also run another conference in New York City once a year. Again, this is the only year where it'll be virtual again. Um, and we've been virtual for both the NAPA conference and we'll also be um, uh, virtual for the um, New York conference, which is really about business per se. So we're looking at, it's called principled uh, entrepreneurship. And uh, we really do focus on those questions and a lot more questions concerned with uh, capitalism uh, and uh, you know, uh, how to uh, apply this and apply ethics, much like we're doing right here uh, to our everyday lives and situations, but also to looking at policy issues, uh, concerned with the government, et cetera, and how that intersects with our Catholic uh, world and our Catholic leadership. So those are the two uh, basic ones. You know, Napa also funds a lot of pilgrimages, things of that nature, but the two conferences in Napa and New York are big uh, apostolates. You know, Father, I was, um, I was driving home the other night and I was listening uh, to the Catholic Channel and um, there was a, a Broken Halo show with uh, yeah. Father Dave Dwyer. All right. And you were being interviewed there there in the Tower of Hope. Yeah. And, um, and you expounded on a question that that had been asked about or a comment by a, I think it was by an Uber driver that that was um, clearly not um, maybe not Christian at all, but not Catholic. And he said, I think the life of Jesus was just a fairy tale. And you expounded on on all the authoritative evidence proving the existence of Jesus and his works and, and all of that, I was mesmerized. It was unbelievably fascinating. Oh, great. Well, I'm grateful. That's exactly what the Maja Center does. Right. Um, and so, uh, and Credible Catholic does. And we do it not only for, you know, like radio shows and things, but definitely we make these uh, voiceover PowerPoint modules, video modules, so that teachers can just play it in the class. A lot of religion teachers don't know any science and, um, you know, they, you know, their philosophy training is a little bit limited. So uh, we are trying to definitely make it so that they can just play these things for the students. And then uh, we, we answer a lot of questions, do all those sorts of things, um, you know, for, uh, you know, right down to the specific questions of evolution, et cetera, et cetera. So thank you, Randy, for, well, for mentioning that. You're absolutely just incredibly wonderful to listen to there. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It's, it's so important for our children because what are the statistics on uh, atheists? It's a growing number of atheists. Oh, yeah. Talking. Yeah, and, 42, and, according to the Pew survey for 2016 and 2018, 42% of our kids who are going to church right now in uh, high school um, have already made a decision or are about to make a decision. Uh, the median age is 13, where they make the decision that they're going to become not just a non-Catholic, they're going to become an unbeliever because they don't believe that uh, faith and science can possibly be compatible. Science is truth, therefore faith must be false, and off they go. And they're also scared of being outed, you know, by their, uh, you know, fellow students for being a believer. But if they don't have any evidence to give them to the contrary, they get scared of being uh, outed, and they, they sort of, uh, uh, you know, uh, abandon the faith. So that's, that's what we're dealing with. But getting them this solid bank of evidence is, is truly important. And that's what we do. We give them a, 
just a, a huge range of really solid scientific, philosophical, historical, and exegetical evidence that uh, frankly blows them away. 94% yeah. of them say, you know, it had a very positive impact on me for maintaining my faith and defending it. So um, we're- uh, your, work, your work is very important for oh, what you're doing you. for the group. Just, just amazing. And I've heard you as well, and I was mesmerized as well. So Randy, I'll okay. leave, leave it over to you. I know you got a question you're dying to ask. Sure. Father, um, what is your advice to business owners and managers who are struggling today with um, you know, how to balance ethics and employee retainment and stability in their businesses? And, um, you know, I, Rand and I lived through this. I mean, this is a very live um, yeah. question for, for Rand and I because we both carry a lot of employees. And uh, yeah. fortunately, we've been able to keep those employees on, on board. But um, there's a lot of ethics involved there in that process. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, you know, the, I guess the first thing I would say is we, we all have to deal with the hard numbers. And so, um, um, you know, when we reconcile, take a hard look at that, I, I think we, we all have to make, an our, uh, make up in our minds, you know, first of all, uh, what kind of a sacrifice can we make um, to try to maintain our employees? I mean, just here at Majus, I'm not on the same level of you with all the employees, but we have really tried to maintain uh, our employees, to just keep them on board, to keep our operations running, to keep these programs developing. And so uh, most of the time, as long as we can raise the money, um, and some, some of our benefactors have really had to cut back uh, because of the, the crisis, but um, uh, we really made an effort. So I would just say it's, to me, it's, it's worth the sacrifice uh, you know, but you have to really make a concerted effort, sit down with your team and say, what can we really afford? But let's make the sacrifice where we can um, and uh, help our employees out. Uh, I think that's a, a very Catholic uh, ethical thing to do. But if you can't, you can't. You know, the, the old silver rule, avoid un unnecessary harm. But if a harm is unavoidable, minimize it. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, if we do have to do some layoffs, okay, we, we have to, if the hard numbers are gonna require it. But if we can maintain and make the sacrifice and maybe run on some fumes for a while and, and try to, to get this done for the sake of our employees, I, I'd say that's, that's a, a really great thing to do. Are we required to do it? No, we're not required to do it, but it's very much Christ-like. Very consistent with what I think he would do to try and take care of folks uh, who have, you know, been good to us and uh, who we, we can try to, you know, maintain and, and keep alive. I mean, the second thing, of course, is uh, uh, what are, what are the budgetary things that we can sacrifice before uh, we need to to take the uh, uh, the employees uh, uh, start, you know, furloughing or or doing something of that nature. And thirdly, if we have to furlough, uh, you know, amidst all of these things, um, you know, uh, uh, let's do the furlough. Let's not, uh, you know, let them go permanently. Uh, finally, are, you know, the employees willing to come to the table and make some sacrifices themselves uh, temporarily, uh, you know, so that we, you know, can keep on, uh, you know, our full load 
you know, even with the, the sacrifice. So just ask, you know, uh, for co-responsibility and the sharing of sacrifices. And I think all these things are really compatible with our Christian faith and Christian ethics. Uh, it goes beyond the call of duty. It goes beyond the silver rule. It really goes to the golden rule, you know, doing the good for others that we would want done to us, not simply avoiding harm to others that we don't want done to us. That's the silver rule. I think, too, that when you share your concerns um, with the employee base and let them participate in it, you know, it, it, everybody feels like there's fairness and, and yes, hopefully it's a, it's a, um, people perceive it as a Christ-like move, yeah. um, but at least they participate in it and understand it. And I think clarity of understanding is, is so valuable in, in those very difficult circumstances. Absolutely. And I would just say uh, um, sharing the, you know, the, the information and asking them to participate in the sacrifice, which I call co-responsibility. Uh, they do rise to the occasion. It's really remarkable how much they do. Yes, indeed. Well, I, I, I could tell you, we have 1,300 tenants and uh, we've been in conversations as a, as a team, not me personally, but I get yeah. feedback. And it is amazing that how hard the employers, and these are small to large business owners, uh, how they're working as hard as they can to keep, keep their uh, employees on and to, as you mentioned, furlough versus layoff right. yeah. their employees. Uh, I, your answer was really one of the best I've heard, Father Spitzer, in terms of how to deal with this situation. So I, I think our listeners very much appreciate what you've got to say there. And it, it shows leadership. And, and you do have a book out uh, called The Spirit of Leadership. And yeah. how, how does that book, how would it re uh, be relevant to this audience that's listening today? You've got uh, the book yeah. right here. Let's see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, uh, the Spirit of Leadership is, uh, um, you know, one of my very first books uh, that I wrote. I was, uh, you know, um, in the midst of Gonzaga University there and, um, and, um, uh, you know, as a president uh, at the university at the time. But it, the objective of the book was basically to tell people, don't forget the intangibles. Sometimes, you know, in the, the three Ps that we have to deal with, you know, product and process and people, we, we really concentrate on product because we know uh, that if we just don't have good product design or we've got a lot of waste in product production, et cetera, it's, you know, it's very easy to, to get into the mode, of course, of correcting that and getting it done. And we should. There's no question about that. And then process, uh, again, you know, we want to eliminate waste. We also want to eliminate, you know, uh, product defects. We want to improve our processes. We want to get streamlined. Uh, you know, processes that have, don't have needless layers and layers and so forth. And so again, we should do these things. We can pretty much look at them uh, very concretely because they are very tangible. We can put them, you know, put it out on big spreadsheets, what's going on, where we can improve, consult the engineers or whatever the case may be. Those things are just so in the forefront of our minds that we forget that third P, which is people. And, uh, you know, people are kind of intangible. They're, they're there, they're employees. But uh, the, the objective of the book was to try and say, you got to wedge in this really intangible area. And it's intangible because 
people, they just don't correspond to a linear system. <laughs> I mean, they can do anything. Uh, you know, they're, they're, you can have moods, they can have, you know, all kinds of strange decision parameters, et cetera. And you, you, you sort of look at that and you, you sort of forget that people get tired, they get fatigued, they have morale uh, challenges, you know, they, they need to be inspired. And so there's all these intangible qualities that just have to be brought to the fore. And I think sometimes, you know, if you're quantitative, and I started off as a quantitative guy, you know, and uh, of course, Randy, you're definitely a quantitative guy sitting there in the CPA, you know, you, you look at that and you just go, yeah, there it is, there's the accounting cost. But my plea is uh, for people to really think about the people parameters, because if you invest in your people, if you give them leeway, if you treat them the right way, and I've got these commitments that I talk about, how do you treat people, you know, and what are some of the commitments we can make to our people? And, and you know, especially just in the minds of, uh, you know, of ourselves as leaders, you know, when all these things are going on, you know, how do we just keep our people in play? And how do we treat them the right way? How do we bring them into decision maker? How do we make them uh, truly a, a co-responsible partner with us uh, in the decisions where they can be involved? And, and how, you know, do we take on what I call that stakeholder approach uh, rather than just, you know, the stockholder approach to, to things where we're really trying uh, to include them, you know, in our uh, decision making. And that's where the whole area of ethics comes in. Because I, I can tell you so many, I mean, obviously, this group of people who are listening right now, I'm preaching the choir, I know that the ethics is already on the forefront of their mind, or else they wouldn't be listening to this. Mm -hmm. But in a lot of ways, ethics is, the, you know, the, uh, you know, the redheaded stepchild sometimes, you know, that's thrown out because, oh, ethics is soft, you know, it's, it really is not a, a, a true business parameter, but it, it, it is. And, uh, you know, the, the ethics of, you know, just our human relations uh, with our employees, but also just ethics itself, like doing the right thing and having that inspirational leadership from the top, you know, that is trying to do the right thing and inspired to do the right thing makes a huge difference to employee morale. And, and not, you know, just treating things like, okay, let me look at the case precedent and get as close to the bloody edge as I can, you know, and then, uh, uh, you know, I'll, I'll refrain from going over it. But sometimes if you get that close to the, to the edge, you, you do fall over it. Yeah. And so uh, what I try to do is say, okay, we've got these intangibles out here. We've got these ethical commitments. We've got these people commitments, right, that, that we need to make uh, you know, very concertedly, uh, we want to try and bring a stakeholder uh, position into our businesses where we can be, you know, including people and, you know, where they can participate in decision making, where they uh, can do this. All these kinds of things uh, um, are part of that, uh, my, my philosophy of business and leadership there, uh, which I think is uh, truly important uh, because, like I said, it's really easy just to go for the product and the process, forget the people and then you pay the price, right? Because if you forget the people, what do you get? Morale problems, what do you get? Turnover, employee turnover problems, all of which, by the way, are very expensive. What else do you get? You get transactional uh, you know, problems where you have to create layers of bureaucracy to oversee the overseers, to oversee the overseers, et cetera, et cetera. So you get you know, these kinds of uh, you know, transactional problems. And, and furthermore, you, you, you get a variety of, of other problems where people just won't contribute to the team. They won't 
give anything, they go into passive aggressive mode, right? So you, you ask them to do anything, goes to the bottom of the pile because they resent you secretly, uh, you know, for whatever they are resenting you for. But uh, if, if we can just alleviate some of these things, it's so easy to move from just, you know, not just being uh, what, what I would call an accounting cost analysis. We can actually do an opportunity cost analysis. We can really look at, okay, we bring our employees maximally on board. Will they contribute information to us more readily? Will they act uh, as a team with us more readily? Will they, uh, you know, not only offer information, but uh, will they offer information to their colleagues and share that information on the team so that we can have a, a real interactive team? You know, will they take a, be looking at our market share and, and where can we improve it and start making self-motivated uh, changes uh, to you know, trying to increase that market share, and there was a, a there's a couple of really great articles that were in the Harvard Business Review that talked about this phenomenon called culture, and uh, why is it that companies that have really good what I would call people hyphen ethical cultures, why do those cultures always seem to get the best uh, resolution to opportunity cost? Why do they get the increased market share? Why is it that they increase in profitability, et cetera? And so uh, I can share that uh, with listeners by sending you a couple of uh, links uh, out there to those articles, which I think are, are fascinating indeed, but the results would be shocking to people who really don't think about culture and people and ethics very much, but they think more about product process in isolation. Uh, if you do bring those three intangibles into the four, it's amazing how it really is transformative uh, to our competitiveness, market share, uh, and you know, reducing the cost of lost opportunity, et cetera. You know, I think that there's a, um, and, and I think this has been seen in, in time and time again, but when you engage the employees, um, not only do they have a sense of participation, but they come up with some pretty darn good ideas. That oh yeah, really facilitate the business that that uh, improves profitability, improves process, um, mm -hmm. and something that you would have never thought of yourself. And um, and yet they're in the trenches working with it, and and um, can see a better solution than you can see. So I mean, there's mm -hmm. just all kinds of rich rewards there for that. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I look at our company and. Uh, Growing it from three people to a national real estate company, and how well it, the platform works and how things, you know, work so well together. And I'm thinking, that's not me. That's not the guy who graduated from Cal State Long Beach. Let me tell you, it, yeah. it's coordinated by some brilliant people we have working for the organization and their input and creativity. And uh, you know, we just let them loose. It's it's just wonderful, and I've seen that in so many other companies as well. Really, well, truly, that that's answer. so true. That, that, that was very good. Rand, I wasn't, wasn't going to say anything, but a lot of people have said to me, you know, how did Rand get to where he is? Anyway. <laughs> I know I was going to hear it. <laughs> Just remember, I didn't say that. <laughs> I got his name down. I wrote it down. <laughs> All right, we have time for one more question. Randy, you want to? Sure. Go ahead. You know, Father, this 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 question um, has kind of rolled through my mind over this period of pandemic, and yeah. and you know, I suppose you can take it in all different kinds of directions. But 
But I wonder if, if the pandemic has brought people closer to God, um, has caused people to pray more, to, to become, um, well, become closer to God. I, I don't know any other way to put it that, than that. I'm, you know, in my own mind, um, we're striving for solutions in this um, race for a vaccine, and, and yet God's got all the knowledge everywhere, any place, anytime. And um, do we ask? You know, do 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 we do we seek um, help, uh, or is it are, are we so self reliant that we that we um, that we don't turn and, and ask ask God for that help? I, I don't know. Have you seen Have you seen any of that change during this time of crisis? Yeah, I have, and to the extent where people are really affected deeply. In other words, you know, maybe their jobs have been threatened or maybe you know permanent loss of job is there or maybe you know their kids are just having a really difficult time with the home learning environment or whatever it may be where there's really something going on that's uh, kind of deep and um, you know the psychological state of the elderly person in the household and you're worried about them and because uh, they're at home all the time etc all these things have, I think, led a lot of people to start praying out of sheer need. But there's a second thing I see also that's happening, and that is that people have more quiet time. You know, all the regular distractions of, you know, where we might have had evening entertainment or whatever it may have been. You know, people, you know, they get tired of the television, they get tired of, you know, the radio, and they, they, you know, they might actually have some quiet time where that reflection time actually turns into prayer time. Mm -hmm. And so that's been a really good effect, too, uh, of the pandemic. Um, you know, we still have to determine, you know, being in California here, we, we've been cut off, you know, from really having um, a lot of church services until very recently where now we're doing them outside. Right. But uh, for a long while there, um, you know, there, you know, that just wasn't happening uh, inside or on, you know, regular basis. And we still have the phenomenon where people are just deathly afraid of coming to a mass, you know, coming, uh, getting infected. And I mean, whatever people say, the, uh, the, the, if we wanted to get the message across that you should be deathly afraid. Uh, they, they certainly have done that well. And um, I'm not altogether sure uh, that that was probably the, the correct message to have or the way to phrase it, but that's the way it has come across. And now, uh, you know, you've got this huge risk of verse population that's just really not availing themselves of the sacraments. How that will affect things going forward is very difficult to, to, to say. So we don't know just how many people are going to stay away from, from Mass, but it, it would be just a pity uh, if they did. Uh, thirdly, though, Catholic schools, oddly enough, the ones that are coming back online now, the K through sixes that have gotten the waivers in California, for example, they are, many of them, most of them, are getting a whole new slug of new students. Mm. And, and the reason is, is because the publics are not going back. Right. And so a lot of people are calling. I mean, I've heard from principals and presidents, you know, 
we're getting calls, you know, day and night to, to try and get their, their kids into wow. the private schools. And they may well stay. And that could be a real boon yeah. of our Catholic school system. Yeah. Very would have ever thought. <laughs> I, I never would have thought of that aspect of it. But yes, that's no, very that, true. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. Um, I know we were pretty excited because here in Chicago, you can go inside the church we went to holy name cathedral this last sunday and yeah. i'll tell you they were as organized as i've ever seen they had everyone waiting out in front with six feet and then you go in and you had to have a reservation and a lady stood there checking your name off i felt like i was going into a restaurant yeah. and, uh, and then the usher takes you and shows you exactly where you're gonna sit yeah. and uh, you couldn't feel more safe i mean because yeah. everyone was very distance and uh it was just great it was full to the yeah. extent they could allow it and it was just exciting to be back in the church for the first yeah. time since march for us okay. it's uh, time. We had outdoor at home but to be actually in in a, a beautiful cathedral like that you know yeah. you take it for granted that uh so it was a great experience yeah. Well, you know, I on the Magis site there, I got all the information on the, the various uh, vaccinations that are coming out, what their process is and so forth and where they are. So there's quite a few coming. You know, I, I would say that there's going to be uh, two or three vaccinations, both non-embryonic and embryonic uh, coming out uh, in November. It looks pretty likely the very latest in early December. So um, there's uh, yeah, all things going well, but just keep praying, as uh, you said there, Randy and Rand, uh, just keep praying that it, it really does, um, things go forward. But right, people are already, you know, 300, 400, 500 million um, uh, vaccinations are already in process by these various companies. And um, they're taking a risk because they're just finishing up phase two clinical trials. But so far, everything looks really pretty good. Yeah, there was, I think there was there was a news um, article as I was driving into the office um, earlier this afternoon about how how are they going to deliver this vaccine to 300 million people? You know, I mean, yeah. it's, it, it, some of it's very very difficult. Um, they were saying some of the some of the potential vaccine has to be stored in a deep deep cold um, mm -hmm. container or something. I don't know. I yeah. didn't follow it all, but yeah. That's right, because it's, it's a live virus vaccination, but uh, I, I'm sure they're going to stratify it according to age and, uh, you know, uh, pre-existing conditions. Right. So the first set that are going to get it are those that really do have the uh, uh, serious pre-existing conditions. Then the next set are going to get it is the over 80, then the over 70, et cetera. Then the less uh, significant pre-existing conditions, et cetera. So they'll have a protocol. Uh, for, uh, you know, administration of it. And, you know, you really can uh, keep these things adequately cold. Um, and you can have a central uh, uh, system uh, for freezing it. And then, you know, during the day, uh, you can have, um, you know, liquid hydrogen or uh, yeah. liquid uh, nitrogen um, containers uh, that, that can really keep this stuff uh, very, very well, cold indeed. Right. As they say, it's a, it's a good problem to have. So I hope you have some yeah. Um, you know, we are just up on our 30 minutes. This oh. has been a very, very interesting oh conversation. So uh, much and, fun. Yeah. And, and so I want to thank Father Robert Spitzer. That's who you've been listening to today. And just want to uh, 
let you know that he was also a uh, former recipient of the Farmers and Merchants Lifetime Achievement Award at the Business and Ethics Conference several years yeah. back. And you can certainly see why he made such an impact on so many people in his daily life. And we thank you uh, for everything you've done for so many throughout your lifetime, uh, uh, Father Spitzer. Uh, and we thank you for being on this call. And we want to remind everyone that there, with God willing, there will be a business and ethics conference next year. We're looking at sometime between April and May and uh, the venue to be determined. And we want to thank everyone for listening today. Have a blessed day and week. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Blessings, Blessings to both of you. It's a real honor. Thank you. Great. Great to be with you.